Hey, how many of you were at the park last night? What did we watch at the park last night? Fireworks. Oh, yep, that'll happen. Okay, so why did we have fireworks at the park last night? Just because? Why? Because it's July. Yeah. What happened on the 4th of July? Why do, what is that all about? Is it just a fun day to shoot off fireworks? What is it about? It's when our country gained its independence. It's when we, we left to be part from being part of England. And do you know why they decided they didn't want to be a part of England? Why did all these people, why did your great, great, great grandmas and grandpas come here? They used to live in Europe. Why did they come over here? Yeah. Yeah, me too. So they left because part of the reason was because they wanted to be able to go to church where they wanted to go to church. But we celebrate the 4th of July as our independence. It's our Independence Day. Okay? And lots of times come 4th of July, we see lots of these flying around. Right? Lots of flags flying around. And that's kind of a symbol of our freedom. It's what our country stands for. Okay, so last night, as they were setting off the fireworks, they played a song by Lee Greenwood, and it goes like this. I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free, and I won't forget the men who died to, who gave that right to me. So I'll gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today, because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Well, you know what? As I was doing a little fun on the Internet, I found somebody who took that very verse. Now, listen to how he kind of changed it up a little bit. He said, I'm proud to be a Christian because in Christ I am free, and I won't forget the one who died on the cross of Calvary. So I'll gladly stand up next to you and praise his name today because there ain't no doubt I love my Lord who took my sins away. Look at how they just changed those couple words around. And it went from talking about the great things that we have in our country to how great our God is. Okay? So when we see our flag flying and we think about Independence Day, we think about the people who died for us so that we could be free. But we also think of God who gave his son Jesus who died on the cross so that our sins could be taken away. Okay? So, my challenge for you, it's easy to say, I stand up and I'm proud to be an American. But we need to remember to stand up and say, I'm proud to be a Christian too. Okay? So let's say a quick prayer. Dear Jesus, we pray that we would never be ashamed to stand up and tell others about what you have done for us and what you want to do for them. Help us to have the courage to stand by and say, I'm proud to be a Christian. Amen. And I have a flag for each one of you guys down on the front step. Lost in our service in the last week at Camp Lamanier in Djibouti, Africa. 
Petty Officer First Class Matthew I. Holzemer from Nashville, Tennessee. Also killed in a plane crash near Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico, Navy Lieutenant Christopher Carey Short, 32, from Canadagua, New York. Thank you, Jay. Before we go to the Lord in prayer, I just want to uh, once again remind us of the prayer covenant that we are encouraging our church and, and, and anyone listening on the radio as well to be a part of. Uh, there's cards. They were in your bulletin last week, so we made it kind of easy for you. But if you didn't get one, we do have extras. I believe there's some by the parking lot door. And I know we have extras in the, in the church office as well. So if you didn't get one of these prayer covenant cards and with the prayer written out there, I encourage you to, to pick one up and, and encourage you to be praying this prayer for your as well as another person each day throughout the summer. Uh, we hope to encourage uh, and foster a strong and, and committed prayer life as individuals, but as a church as well, we want to be a people of prayer. And so we encourage you to participate in this if you have not been doing so already. And there's also one for kids, too. Um, and, and some of you I know picked up this kids one. We've been doing it, Josephine, and she's really enjoying it. Uh, the kids one has Bible verses on the back. So that's something to, to take advantage of right there. The adult one doesn't, but if you want those scripture references to kind of, that kind of go along, and guide that prayer, um, you can grab one of those kids' ones and that has that there as well. So if you didn't get a chance to, to grab, get one of those last week or, or haven't had a chance to start praying that prayer, I encourage you, you know, it's never too late to start. We can join in together beginning this week as well. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful uh, for all that you have done and continue to do uh, in our lives. Lord, uh, we come to prayer so often with our focus on our needs and our wants and our desires. Lord, help us uh, to also take time to praise you and to thank you for the many ways, Lord, you have been active and have been working in our lives. Lord, it's not always easy to see, and sometimes the way that you answer our prayers is not the way we expect or want in and of ourselves. But Lord, help us to, to acknowledge and help us to uh, be content with, with your will and, and, and striving after that in our own lives, and especially with the needs that we have listed in our bulletin this week and other weeks. Lord, we lift those up to you. We pray for, for healing where it's needed. We pray for your provision where it's needed. And, and through all of those cases, we pray for your presence to be made known, your spirit to be there and working. Um, so, Lord, uh, peace can be experienced and true joy can be experienced even in the midst of hardship and even in the midst of difficulty. Lord, you're able to do that because of who you are and because of your, your love for us and your goodness in and of yourself. And so we, we thank you and praise you for that. Lord, we also keep in mind uh, the leaders of our country and our community. We pray for godly wisdom to be made known and put into practice. We pray, Lord, that you'd fill them and fill us with a hunger and thirst for your righteousness because your word promises that we will then be filled. Uh, Lord, we pray for the leaders of our church that you would guide and direct us as we faithfully serve you here. And I pray that you would always, you would guide us in the way you'd have us go and that we would have, we would follow you wherever that may lead. Lord, because your will is what's best for us. And we, we trust that and we pray, Lord, that we would strive hard after you. Lord, and we pray, um, and thank you, Lord, for the freedoms that we do have in this country. With Fourth of July coming up this week, we're reminded of those freedoms, and we thank you for that. But, Lord, and as Maria reminded us, 
Let us not forget the true freedom and the ultimate freedom that we have in you. Uh, freedom from our sin and freedom, Lord, to be the people you've created us and called us to be. And so, Lord, I pray that you would guide us and direct us to do that this week and all, all the time, Lord. We pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. And we're blessed once again to hear from Sharon and Aaron.
please continue standing and hear today's scripture, which comes from the book of Acts, chapter 18, verses 5 through 17. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook off his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went to the next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack or harm you, because I have many people in the city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of the Lord. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. If you would please continue standing and join with the praise team as they sing the uh, praise hymn in your bulletin, Cornerstone.
Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much uh, for this day. Uh, Lord, thank you uh, for all the opportunities we have, Lord, to gather and to worship you and to praise your name together. And I pray now as we, as we take a moment to, to open your word and to, to look at what it has for us, I pray that your spirit would guide our conversation, guide my thoughts and my words, and I pray that your spirit would open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're reminded in this passage today, as we have been in so many of these stories that we've been reading about Paul and his missionary journeys and and what it's taken for him to lead a life that's committed to Christ, we see conflict and disagreement and and, and, uh, and opposition once again uh, rear its ugly head for Paul and, and, and Silas and Timothy and the others. Over and over again, as Paul has been traveling around the, the Mediterranean Sea region there and, and planting churches and sharing the gospel, it seems like every new town he goes in, there's opposition. There's people there that are pushing back and, and not willing to receive the word that, that Paul has for them. And unfortunately, more often than not, that came from the synagogue, that came from, the, from God's people themselves. They were the ones that tended to be, to be closed off and hard-hearted to the gospel and what, needed, and, and what Paul had to share. And it was often uh, the Gentiles, those outside of, of the, the Jewish people that were receptive and open to what God had to say and what God was doing. Now, of course, that wasn't... That division wasn't there on hard lines. Of course, we see here in this very own passage, there were many of, of God's people who put their trust in Christ and, and became a part of that early church in Corinth. And of course, there were many Gentiles who did not receive the word of the Lord. But, but we see, it seems like the pattern here over and over again is that there is every town, every city that Paul goes to, there is opposition and there is, is pushback against his ministry. And I was, as I was reading this passage, I was reminded of the fact that, that we see this over and over again. And I think the book of Acts is trying to remind us of something, trying to teach us something. And that is, that is conflict and disagreement and opposition and hardship. All of those things are a normal part of life and are a normal part of what it means to follow Christ and to try to to serve Him and to share His gospel in every opportunity we get. You see, we often preach a different kind of gospel, and, and we see that in, in many ways, especially here in America, this idea that, that just put your trust in Christ, follow Him, and everything else will, everything will be perfect. You'll have no more worries, no more pain, no more hardship. Just trust Christ, and He's going to fix it all for you. And that gospel sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> That's the kind of gospel we want to believe in, right? Because we don't want to face hardship. We don't want to have conflict. We don't have, want to have disagreement. Uh, we would much rather, I know I, I should say, I would much rather have a life free of all of those things, right? And I'm sure many of you can relate as well. But the reality is that, that conflict and hardship is normal and expected, especially for those who try to follow Christ. And try to put the things of God first in their lives. You're gonna, you're gonna endure hardship and endure pushback from the world in that case. And Jesus was very clear about that, telling his disciples in John chapter 16, in verse 33, he, he, he's been speaking on the Holy Spirit and he had just got done telling them that, 
that they're going to experience some difficulties. And he, and he tells them this. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There's such a conflict of ideas going on right there in that single verse. Jesus says, I've told you these things so you can have peace. And then the very next words, he says, in this world you will have trouble. You see, in our mind, peace is the absence of conflict. Peace is a life without trouble or without hardship. But what Jesus is saying here and what we see in Paul's experience throughout the book of Acts is that, is that it's possible to have peace. It's possible to have peace in your life and, 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 and be able to experience that in a very real way and yet still have trouble in the world. And that's not a contradiction, it's a reality. Because peace from a Christian perspective is not the absence of conflict. That's not a life devoid of hardship or anything like that. Peace from a Christian perspective is knowing and experiencing the presence of Christ in your life. It's knowing Jesus and, and, and experiencing Him and knowing Him in such a way that even though we go through hardship, even though there's conflict and pushback and disagreement in all areas of our life, we can have peace because He's with us. We can have peace because His presence through His Holy Spirit is here and we can, we can experience peace through Him. That's why in those very next words from John 16:33, first he says, you'll have peace. Then he says, you're going to have trouble. And then he closed out the verse by saying, take heart, for I have overcome the world. Christ has overcome it. It's, and it's in Christ and through Christ that, that we can then experience peace. We could talk about this in, in, in many different ways, in many different contexts. You see, because, because we experience pushback, we experience um, conflict or disagreement in, in all sorts of areas of our life. We see it especially, you know, in the broader context of the world today. As Christians, as we try to faithfully follow Christ and, and allow His Spirit to work in us and, and, and try to live out what His Word is calling us to do, we're going to have conflict with the outside world, the greater unbelieving world, because the values of, of our faith don't necessarily line up all the time with the values that the world holds. And so there's going to be some friction, there's going to be some, some, some pushback as we try to faithfully follow Christ in a world that, that, that isn't, right? And so we're, there's going to be some, some issues there that we can expect. But it's not just that, though. There's also some conflict between churches and with, you know, between denominations. You know, you can, you can travel all around this country and see denominations of all stripes and all sizes and, and that have different beliefs and different expectations of their members and, and different ways and styles of worship. And, and no one church, even within a denomination, is the same, right? And there's going to be some, some different expressions of the faith in different areas. And I'm not saying that's all a bad thing. There's some good that comes out of that because the way that you worship, the way that you connect with God most fully in, 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 a, in that way isn't going to be the same as the next person that's living down the street or in the next town over, in a different part of the world even. And so there's some good that comes out of those differences, and it allows us to engage our faith in different ways. But then there's also that, that division that is also present. And, and unfortunately, many of the founding of our, some of our denominations come out of conflict and out of issues of disagreement. 
But then there's also the reality that that conflict happens within a church body itself. And we don't have to look any further than Paul and Barnabas to, to see an example of that. Earlier in the book of Acts, they split ways. They parted ways because there was a disagreement about whether or not they would bring John Mark along with them on their second missionary journey. We didn't focus on this a whole lot earlier when we came across that passage, but but John Mark had, had abandoned them in their first missionary journey. It didn't really say why or didn't give any motivation, but it said that he, he left them and went back home. And, and so Paul had some hard feelings about that. He and, and when Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark along again, there was a sharp disagreement between the two of them. And so even right there in the book of Acts, there's there's some conflict and some disagreement that's happening even within uh, close missionary partners like Paul and Barnabas, and they ended up going separate ways. But we do see later on that they were able to resolve, and, and Paul himself was able, even able to count John Mark among one of his friends and one of his fellow co-workers. And so, so there was resolution there. But the reality is whenever you get more than one person in a room, there's going to be a conflict of interest and, and a conflict of, of preferences and desires because we're all different and we have a different outlook on things. At my previous church where I served as youth pastor, I led an adult Sunday school class for several years. And we were studying about uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in the church and how it's God's presence that brings unity and peace within a body of believers, especially those who don't see the same way all the time. And so one of the questions in the study uh, asked us to discuss what would your perfect church look like, right? If you were in charge and you got to call all the shots and you got to decide everything, what would that look like? And so we had some interesting conversation. And you could tell even within that Sunday school class, there were different perspectives on the issue. But then one person said something that's stuck with me ever since. She looked at me and in all seriousness in her face, she goes, I wouldn't want my perfect church. I said, why? And she goes, because I'd be the only one there. Um, I thought that was, that was so profound. She said, you know, if I had my way, if everything was the way I wanted it to be and I got to call all the shots all the time, nobody else would want to be a part of it. And I thought, that's, I mean, that's stuck with me ever since then. I think it's so true. Even within a body of believers like this, there's going to be differing views and different ideas about how we worship and how we, how we follow God and even, you know, greater questions about life in general. But we can still be united. We can still have... Uh, a time of worship together, we can still be united as brothers and sisters in Christ because the one thing that we have in common is greater than any differences that we may have, and that's our faith in Christ. And that's the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives and His presence within the church. That's what draws us together, and that's why we can have fellowship with other churches as well. You know, one of the the um, coolest things that I've gotten to experience during my almost two years here at First Church is the way that we are able to work alongside the Methodist Church when we do things like VBS or our Thanksgiving Eve service and other opportunities we've had to worship together. I just think it's amazing that we can come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and, and, and have maybe some differing opinions on how we worship on a regular basis or other things that may come up, but yet we can still say we're trying to follow Christ together and serve this community together and we're able to come and do those things as one. And again, the reason for our, our being able to do that is because of Christ's presence within us and within his church. That is what brings us peace. And that's what Paul experiences here in this passage. Once again, Paul arrives and he's, he, gets, he gets to work trying to share the gospel and, and preach the good news. 
And, and once again, he faces conflict and pushback. But notice the encouragement that he receives from the Lord himself. In verse 9, it says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Don't be afraid, keep on speaking, don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. What a promise. What, what an amazing thing to hold on to. Jesus didn't say your life is going to be easy. right? He didn't say you don't have to work hard or you don't have to strive to follow me. He said what he, the promise that he gives them, and it's the same promise that God repeats throughout Scripture, is that I am with you. That's what matters. That's what Paul can hold on to, and that's how Paul is able to continue his work. In the very next verse, it says that he stayed there for a year and a half. You know, when we read stories like this about Paul, we, you know, they come in short paragraphs and we move on from one chapter to the next so quickly that we sometimes think Paul did the same thing in his cities and with these churches. And there were some times where he was forced out of town pretty quick. But in other cases, like here in Corinth and, and later on in Ephesus, Paul stays and he puts down roots and he stays for a long time in order to, to make an impact for God's kingdom in that community. A year and a half preaching the word and, and, and sharing the gospel within that community. And it's all because of that encouragement of Christ that I am with you. And so what does that look like for Paul? And, and, then, and then what can we learn from that as well? See, that encouragement that, that Christ is with them led Paul to continue to be bold and confident. The Lord tells him to keep preaching. Keep, don't, don't be afraid. In other words, just keep on keeping on. Remember Pastor Steve, the pastor I worked with in Huntington, he would always say, just do the next right thing. Don't have to worry about the big picture. Don't have to know what's coming down the road. Just do the next right thing. And I think that's such a valuable lesson for us, especially when we're in the midst of conflict or hardship. You know, keep our eyes focused on Christ. Know that he is with you. And then just do the next right thing, whatever that may be. It's also important, as Paul does here in Corinth, to surround yourself with people that are able to support, to build you up, and, and also to hold you accountable. And that may come in a variety of different ways. Paul here, in the, in the verses leading up to what Adam read for us, talks about him meeting these two people, Priscilla and Aquila. And they were also tent makers like Paul was, and he was able to live, and they, they, they brought him into his home, and he was able to live with them, and they supported him materially in that way. And he also worked alongside them in this business. And so there are people in Paul's life who were able to, to provide and support him as he strived to live out God's calling. Uh, but there are also people who, who supported him spiritually. It says that Timothy and Silas then arrived, and Paul was then able to commit himself even more fully to the preaching of the Word. Once, once his partners in ministry arrived, they were, he was able to commit to serving God with them in a more full and, 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 and complete way. You see, we all need to devote ourselves to serving God. Not all of us are preachers, right? Not all of us have an opportunity to serve in very obvious, upfront ways. But all of us are called to serve God. All of us are called to live out His will and His calling in our lives. I'm a, I've said this before. I believe fully that if you're still drawing breath today, that means God has a plan and a purpose for you. If you're still here, He's got something that He's calling you to do. And that doesn't mean you need to sell all your stuff and move to Africa to be a missionary. It doesn't mean you need to quit and enroll in seminary to be a pastor. It means serving God. It means loving Him and your neighbor where He's placed you. 
within your family, within your job, within your community, and also, of course, within your church. And that's what Paul is doing here, and that's what that we need to do. And, and we're able to do that because we, we can trust and know about God's presence in our lives. Just one comment again about the prayer covenant. You know, what a way to support and encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ is, is to pray for them. To pray for someone in particular by name and to lift them up to the Lord. I believe that makes a huge difference. It's a way to encourage and strengthen them. And it's not something that you've got to make a big show about. You know, if you're really nervous about it, you don't have to tell them. I mean, if you could, if that would be great so they know. But, but you can pray for people. You can lift them up to the Lord. And, and what a way to, to encourage them and strengthen them uh, by praying for them. Uh, we also need to recognize that we can't save people ourselves. Notice that Paul, again, as he's coming up to this opposition within uh, the, the synagogue and the people that he was trying to reach, he had to come to a point where he said, to paraphrase, he says kind of enough is enough. I've tried, to, I've, I've preached the gospel, I've, I've faithfully reached out to you, and, and, and it's not in my ability to change your heart. It's not in my ability it's not my responsibility to convince you. And so he goes on to then share the gospel with others. There's this interesting passage in Ezekiel chapter 3 that, where, the, where the Lord calls the prophet Ezekiel to go and preach the word to God's people. He says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say as a, to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sins, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn a wicked person and they do not turn from their wicked ways and from their excuse me from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sin, but you will have saved yourself. You see, our job, our responsibility as Christ followers isn't to save other people. That's God's doing. That's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. He softens their hearts and it's up to them to respond to God's grace. But what God does call us to do is to share the gospel. Is to make Him known. To point people to Christ when we have that opportunity. And that's what he desires for us to do. But we have to realize that even as a pastor, I have to realize that it's not my responsibility to save people. That's what God does. That's what Christ came for. My responsibility and all of our responsibility as a Christ followers is simply to point people to Jesus. To point people to his grace and his mercy and his love. And allow God to work in their hearts and allow God to do the work of saving there's also a warning there and in, 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 in looking at it from the other perspective that we need to take ownership of our own faith. We need ourselves to, to make that decision to follow Christ. We need to, to receive and respond to His grace. We can't depend on our parents, our spouse, or your pastor in that area. We all need to respond personally to the invitation of Christ to know and to, and to serve Him. And to put our trust in Him. And we need to make sure that 
that even if even when we don't see eye to eye with people, even when we disagree with them, we must still love and honor them. You know, in the newsletter this past week, we reprinted those 59 one another verses that I mentioned, I think, back in May in a in a in a sermon. And we reprinted those with the idea of of reminding us of what God does call us to do. And that is to love one another, to serve one another, to be to be humble with one another and to to point each other to Christ and all those things. So if you have the newsletter, I encourage you to take a look at that. We're not going to not going to rehash all 59 verses here, of course. But but what a what a standard, what a what a wonderful thing to, to remind ourselves of, of what we're called to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not always going to see eye to eye. We're not always going to agree, but we can choose to love one another uh, in that way. Paul, later on in his letter to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 18, speaking about what love and action truly looks like, he says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Not just fellow church members, but everyone. And it's as far as it depends on you, because conflict and hardship are a reality. And there's going to be people you, you're not going to agree with, and there's going to be people that are obstinate and, and people that are going to uh, push back against what you say or what you think or what you believe or how you're living your life. But the important thing is to, to keep your focus on Christ, to keep following Him, keep being striving to know Him more and be obedient to Him, and, and as best as you can and as best as you're able, live at peace with one another. That's what God is calling us to do. And again, peace is is not the absence of conflict, it's not the absence of hardship, but it is God's presence with us through Christ. Psalm 23 was our call to worship. And what a great reminder. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And why is that? What reason does David have to to say that even though he faces the darkest moments in his life, he he doesn't have to be afraid? It's because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's what the key is. That it's, it's not the absence of conflict. It's, it's knowing Christ is with us. Knowing His presence goes before us. Joshua 1.9 is a great reminder. As God's people were about to enter the promised land, He reminds them again, don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. And again, what's the reason? For I am with you. God's presence with us is the key. That's why we don't have to be afraid. And God brings us peace by making us one. In Ephesians chapter 2, and I'll end with this passage. It's a little bit of a longer one, but I want to I wanna make sure we hear it together this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. Verse 13. I want to read this to you because it reminds us that we can have peace and unity within the church, within the body of believers, and ultimately, I pray, within our world, because the one thing that we have in common as Christians is our faith in Christ, and, and it's greater than anything that can separate us. And when we realize that, when we hold on to that truth and that reality, then we're, God is able to build us up upon the foundation of the gospel. And, and we can be a place where God's presence dwells within his people. So in closing, I want to read you from Ephesians chapter 2, verses, beginning of verse 13. It says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Christ is our peace. 
who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. As we go through this life, we're going to have hardship. We're going to have conflict. But the one thing that we can hold on to is that promise that God will bring us peace. God will sustain us, not by removing any of that stuff, but because Christ has made peace for us. Ultimately, between us and God, His sacrifice on the cross tore down that wall that that separated us from the Lord. The sin that had kept us away from God, the sin that had marred our relationship with Him, has been removed because of His sacrifice. And so that brings reconciliation between us and God, but also brings us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. He makes the two people, He makes opposing sides one through His shed blood, through His sacrifice. Because that is the one thing that, that unites all of us, is our faith in Him, His sacrifice for us, and His presence in our lives. Let's celebrate that today. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You have made us one. Thank You that though we experience conflict and hardship in this life, You have brought us peace through the death and resurrection of Your Son and through the presence of Your Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would be able to hold on to that no matter what life throws our way. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and in singing, in closing, sing number 345, Blessed Assurance.
the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. May go in peace.